You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. It says Mikra Kodesh, but then it doesn't tell you a mitzvah what to do, just tells you don't do malacha. In Yom Kippur, when it says Mikra Kodesh, it's followed by what you're supposed to do on Yom Kippur. Mikra Kodesh. And you know what Mikra Kodesh means for Yom Kippur? Mikra Kodesh means to deny yourself the essential food and drink and other things. That seems to be what Mikra Kodesh, the definition, at least in part, or at least what the the mitzvah of the day is in a way generated from the title Mikra Kodesh. I'd like to contrast that, if, if we will, with a Pasuk earlier in the same section. When we talk about Pesach, okay, well, it starts talking about Erev Pesach, but then when it, that's the first day of Pesach. So that already tells you what you do. It's a matzah holiday. You eat matzah for seven days. Then it says on the first day, you have something called Mikra Kodesh. And the result is, but not to eat matzah. So Mikra Kodesh doesn't, in a way, explain the mitzvah of the day. The mitzvah of the day, there's actually a mitzvah of seven days to eat matzah, but Mikra Kodesh is a separate idea and what flows from Mikra Kodesh is not doing Malocha. That's what flows from the idea of Mikra Kodesh. You see that when it comes to Pesach. Let's compare this to Sukkot. Okay? So, when it comes to Sukkot, what does it say? already tells you that you that it's a chag about a sukkah. And it's seven days of a chag. Then it tells you the first day is Mikra Kodesh. So this is parallel to Pesach. Mikra Kodesh, whatever that means, we'll see in a minute, does different things for different holidays. For sukkahs and Pesach, Mikra Kodesh is the generator of not doing malacha, but not the mitzvah sayom, the special mitzvah of Pesach, of eating matzah, the special mitzvah of sukkahs, of sitting in a sukkah, is independent of the shame Mikra Kodesh. Mikra Kodesh is, does not generate that mitzvah. Mikra Kodesh generates not doing malacha. When it comes to Yom Kippur, Mikra Kodesh seems to be the force that generates the fact that we with, with, withdraw from everything we withdraw on Yom Kippur. Now, what does Mikra Kodesh mean? The Rabban says that Mikra Kodesh means it's a call for Kedusha, that everybody comes to shul together, dressed in a certain way, all in unity. That's what Mikra Kodesh means. A special communal day 
a special communal day that everyone is called. That's what Mikroye Kodesh. Mikroye Kodesh means there everyone is, in a sense, invited for a special convocation. And they're supposed to come and realize they're going to do Hawil. They're going to do Shevach. They're going to do things special. They're going to be in, a, in, a, in an elevated state. That's what Mikra Kodesh means. And it's the Mikra Kodesh that is true for Yom Kippur, for Yom Kippur. And the, the, whole, the identity that Yom Kippur has starts not as a day of Inui, but a day that we are all called to come together to invest in a holy endeavor as a community to daven. The Ramban does not say that you have to daven every day, Minat Torah. But he does say during Yomim Tovim, we do come together for that purpose, to be together, to offer our voices uh, in unison towards God, to be dressed in a certain uh, high manner. All of that is called Mikra Kodesh. That's the Ramban's definition of the words. Yom Kippur is Mikra Kodesh, and the Malachas are a byproduct of that. When it comes to when it comes to um, Rosh Hashanah, however, the first thing is it's Shabbosa. The second thing is Zichron Trua, the mitzvah. And the third thing is Mikra Kodesh. So the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah precedes its identity as a, a day of convocation. So let's try to understand why that is. How that is sort of the opposite of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is meant essentially to be Mikra Kodesh and the mitzvahs come from there. With Rosh Hashanah, there's first the idea of you're not doing malacha. Then there's a mitzvah that you do, which is called zichron trua, which might be blowing the shofar. We'll see what that is. And then it gets the title Mikra Kodesh. Let's take a look at the Ramban on that Pasuk now. He first quotes Rashi on Zichron Trua. He says, Psuk, Rashi says you should say Psukim, the Psukim that remind us of, of God, of God's love for us, I would assume, Zikaron, that he cares for us, the Psukim of Shofros, to remember the Akedah. That's what Rashi says. But if he's really talking about psukim, Ramban asks, he should have brought the psukim of Malchios. Why? If it's true, if Rashi is right, that the mitzvah, the key mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is the psukim that are the setting for the blowing of the shofar, then the most important psukim are the psukim that deal with God as king. Rashi did not mention those. 
and Rash and Vikvar Dorshu Osami Posik for you Zikarolokechem, the Posik that we did in our Rosh Hashanah Davening. The Posik about blowing the, the trumpets in the Bezamikdash, where it says it was Zikaron. That says at the end of that Posik, Ani Hashem Elokechem. I am a God who is the powerful controller of your world. So Rashi left out an essential aspect. But then the Ramban says, But Rashi seems to have made a mistake explaining the Pusik, or at least he should indicate that this is not the simple Pshat. When the Torah writes for Rosh Hashanah, Zichron Trua, it doesn't mean say Psukim, Zichron, mention, make mention of things to be the setting for your shofar blast. Trua would be the shofar blast, and the Zichron would be the Psukim that are the setting that allow the shofar blast to be enhanced. You're not just blowing shofar, but you're explaining what you're blowing. You're you're giving it a, a, a context. The Ramban understands you could learn that's the Pshat and the Pusik, but that is not, from the rabbi's point of view, what the Pusik really means. Even though the rabbis are the ones that Rashi is quoting, the rabbis only mean this to be an asmachta. The rabbis created these this responsibility that the shofar blast should have context, and they based it on the verbiage of the Torah on the words of the Torah. But it's not really what the Torah meant. The proof is, the rabbis themselves say that, let's say you have a choice of going to a place that you know you have a person who can blow the chauffeur, or a place where you know you have competent people who can articulate the words of the tefillah and know the bracha, know the bracha, know how to say the psukim. You go to where they blow the chauffeur. So the Gemara asks, Pshita, that's straightforward, that Psak. Why would anyone think different? You have a choice of two shoals to go to. Only one is accessible to you by making an Eruv. Because you live in a place that doesn't have any real functioning shoal, let's say. So in order to get to any of these shoals, you need to set up a, uh, a, a some food that represents your... Um, address for this day on one direction they have a beautiful baltfila but they don't have a shofar in the other place they have a shofar they have a shofar where should you go go to the place that has the shofar the mar says well obviously the mar says no the reason why it's not so obvious how about if you're there might be a shofar there you know there's definitely not a chauffeur in this direction, but they have a great Baltfila. They have Kosovitsky. They have Rosenblatt. They have Rosenblatt, Kosovitsky together. But even though you're not sure, but you might have a chauffeur, you go to the place that has the chauffeur. But you miss out the Zikron. So what does it... So Rashi can't be correct in terms of this real Pshat in the Posik. Avol, zichron, trua. What did it mean when it said zichron? Kimo yom That's what it says in Parshas Pinchas. Yomar, 
Shinaria biyom hazeh. Definitely make the sound. The sound creates something called zichron. How do we know that? Well, every time when you were in the Beis Hamikdash and they offered korbanos, it says, blow chatzotros with the korbanos, and that creates zichron. Even though chatzotros are made out of metal and the shofar is made out of the organic material from a ram's horn, it, they both produce the effect of zichron. And zichron is great. Now, we know that if we look in Bamidbar Yud, and he tells us where to look in Parshas Nasa, we know that it says, We know that on every holiday, the Korbanos get not just Chatzotros, they get three things. They get the trumpet plus a shofar. And that happens when? At, during the carbon. The Khan, Siva Betrua, Stam Bemoed Azebilvad. It tells you about the Trua without the carbon. Later it says, bring a carbon. So you see that even though every holiday there was blowing going on, there was blowing going on with the Korbanos. This trua that we're talking about is not the one that has to do with the korbanos, because that was done with the chatzotros. That was done with the metal trumpet. This one has nothing to do with the carbon. This has to be done everywhere the Jews are, and it's done with the organic material of a shofar. And it can't be the chatzotros. Now, that's what the simple pshat is. Zichron. Yes, the same way we know this sound, even if it's done with a metal object, creates tr- uh, zichron. Do it with a shofar. That's our tradition. And it's done independently of the carbon. That is what the pasha, that is what the words mean. Zichron trua. Trua creates zichron. But then the Ramban says, I know I've, I've left you thinking. Well, perish cause of Tama mitzvah zos. The Torah doesn't explain the reason behind this mitzvah. Lomaha trua. Why? Why does it need blowing separately than the carbon? And why is it even a trua sound, which we know is learned out to be a broken sound? And why do we need more than any other day? Every single day there was zikron. Every every day of Yamtif. As the Pasuk says in Parshas Noso, there was blowing in the Beis HaMikdash. Why does there need to be even beyond the Beis HaMikdash blowing and zikron everywhere more than any other day? Then he says, What's going on that should even be called Mikrakodesh? What happened on this day? What is special about the first day of Tishrei that should be a Mikra Kodesh? The other days, I get it. I get it. Because it's a day I want you to eat matzah for seven days. I want you to sit in a sukkah for seven days. It, 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 is, it, is, it is tethered with a, a historical reality that occurred. And in some way, you're still able to, to, to download that. You're able to 
plug into that reality, I understand there's a Mikra Kodesh. What's the Mikra Kodesh here? Why should there be Mikra Kodesh? It must be. Because Yom Kippur, which comes after, which we know how important that is. So Nira, it would appear, Shabo Yiddin Lafan of Yisbarach. So probably, since it's in the Chodesh of Yom Kippur, and it's within seven days, nine days of Yom Kippur, ten days actually, starting from the beginning, so there must be a din. Because we know Yom Kippur is a day for Slicha, there's probably a din that precedes it. So, because we know there's Yom Kippur, and we know that that's a day of Slicha, it makes sense, although <laughs> there's no other source in the Torah, it makes sense that there's a din there must be a time for nations to be judged. And Rosh Hashanah must be the day. And during these 10 days, the din is hovering, and there are ways, as we know, to receive clemency, or at least a pass. Then he says, Nirmaz because of Ainyan, there's, there's the hint in this Pusik that that's what's going on. Kasher noda Israel, the way all of us know. And how do we know? We know me pianivim. The last two words, Rav Yitzchak Kutner, the former Rashiva in Chaim Berlin, the great educator, in terms of his brilliance. What did the Ramban mean when he says, v'avos kedoshim? Who are these Ovos Kedoshim? This is a very unusual term. We know it from the Nevi'im and the Ovos. Is that Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? The Ovos Kedoshim. It's a strange term the Ramban uses. Well, that is his pshat against Rashi. Then he says, Alderach HaEmes. We need something more. And this already is, in a way, Kabbalistic. If he says Derech HaEmes, usually when the Ramban uses that term, it means that he is, he is working from a Kabbalistic perspective. And he's going to write in a way that we know his students would study and realize that he was hiding things. That his words were written in a way that seemed to be comprehensible. But there's really, right? And, and there was whole schools of, 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 of learning, students of the Ramban, who would take these passages and would really work on it and study them in such a way. Um, I'll read you what he says, and we'll try to figure out what it means. The Trua is what has allowed our ancestors and us to continue. 
It has stood for us. It's meant something for us. Shenemar Ashrei Ha'am Yodeya Trua. How great we wouldn't say lucky. How great is the lot? How satisfied they are that they can know what trua is. Yodeya trua. But then he says, That's what you hear in a war. You hear trua, you hear their shattering when a war is going. There's a war happening. So it's interesting that that, that trua sound, which is a war sound, a sound of conquering, a sound of, sub, of, of, of putting people into submission, has been something great for us. In Cain, Yom Trua Yelachem. Why does it say Lachem in Parshas Pinchas? It's good for us to have that Trua going. Shiyahayom Lachrua Lanu, that this Trua, this this victory, this battle is for is for us. And therefore, what does it mean in our pasuk? Zichron Trua Mikra Kodesh, that the Zichron. Not just when you blow, there's a zikron that God, the zikron happens with trua. Trua creates zikron, and therefore it's a mikra kodesh only because of what we do. Without what we do, it would not be mikra kodesh. The mikra kodesh, which is the simcha of Rosh Hashanah. The beautiful Yom Tefer Rosh Hashanah only happens because of the mitzvah that God gave us of Zikron and Trua. It doesn't need to say that, that there's a shofar, a shofar Ramaz Biyom. Hu Yom Hadin Berachamim. Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Hadin. It's a Yom Hadin that is couched in Rachamim. It was essentially a Yom Din, even before the Torah was given. Even before the first Yom Kippur, it was a Yom Din in a way. It was a Yom Din even before. It's a Yom Din before the Torah. However, what we do by the shofar is change it into a day of Mikra Kodesh by doing the shofar because it's a trua of Zichron, not a trua of Milchama. Most truos are, are pure din and war. Somehow, this trua, although it has an element of war to it, is not really war at all. Hatrua. <laughs> We all knew what the, the shofar was like. Why don't we mention the tekios? We know since the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, every true had a tekia. Why don't we mention the tekia? Because he says, Tekiah is Zikaron. Tekiah, that beautiful, not destructive blast, 
but that blast that is straightforward, that is really the idea of zikaron, and that comes from shofar itself. The trua is din, but the trua, because the tkiya comes first, because the zikron is there, the trua is now, which is the din, so to speak, is really part of it is rachamim. It's sandwiched. That's what we say, yodei teruah. You know what it really is. So therefore, of course, what makes that happen is tshuva, is our mindset. We, by understanding what's going on, by knowing how much God loves us, by wanting to be connected to him, we are able to take, and, and we understand that we sandwich the chauffeur blast with the, the tekiya before and after, we create a different Yom Adin. God is, 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 is bonding with Midas Adin in a way which is there even before there was ever a Torah given. It was Midas Adin. And we are seeing that God is really controlling and putting the world the way it should be. But the Trua is sandwiched by our zikron, our tekiah, our sense of what we recognize God is and his love of us. And that's what makes it Mikra Kodesh. If there wouldn't be that love, that thing which makes the rachamim there, it would just be a day of din, and it would not be a day where we have to all meet together in shul and, 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 and glorify God. What makes it a glorious day is the the understanding that there is rachamim that is going to be the the spirit of the din. Rosh Hashanah is therefore Yom Din with rachamim, and Yom Kippur is Yom Rachamim Bedin. Yom Kippur is a day that's essentially Rachamim, that was always Rachamim. But it's Rachamim that has the outer aspect of Din. Rosh Hashanah's outer aspect, which is sort of what it works with, is a Din, a Yom Din. We are able, with Tkiyah Shofar, the way we understand it, to change it into a Yom Rachamim. Yom Kippur, however, is a Yom Rachamim in essence. It was always a Yom Rachamim. But we can't escape the fact that there's Din involved. And then he says, based on this, you can understand why when they would blow this trumpet in the travels of the Jews, 
they know, when they would travel and they would have to go into the desert and they'd have to establish and change and alter and move. That interaction was, of course, with a trua. It was like a din, so to speak. The further extension of mankind and their traveling. Perhaps against an enemy, against whatever was out there in the elements. But when they would stop, when they would come back and find their identity, the Torah writes specifically, no trua should be there when you're coming back. When you're coming back, when you're restoring yourself, when you're energizing yourself, it's about tekiah and not trua. Then the Ramban explains further. Because when they traveled, what does it say? It says it was a malach of Elohim, a malach of, God, of the power of din. That's what they were going behind. It was fantastic, but it was the power of din in the world, of shaping and changing, of conquering and moving, of danger. But when they stopped and they'd say, okay, everybody back in, then it was the purity of the tekiah and not the truah. Now, of course, it's, it's, Rosh Hashanah cannot be anything except the Yom Din. And we know that from the Ovos already, even before the Torah. But God's mitzvah, as we said, changes it, changes it into Mikra Kodesh. The Ramban goes on, when the, when the, when the Malach Elohim is out there, and how does he go out there with a trua, the enemies? The enemies who would want, whether it's the Eight Sahara or the nations that represent them, they're gone. Pnei Hashem Akal. But when we when it's everybody coming together, it says Shuva Adonai Revavos Alfeyusra doesn't say Elohim. It means all the thousands and tens are all this great population of people, we're all together. Shuva Hashem. Because on Yom Kippur, we have the highest Sphero. The Ramban does not use the word Sphero often. The ten spheros. Now, of course, this is a term that was pretty well known from the Sefer Yitzira, the Esther spheros. Rabbi Yehuda Levi and other Rishonim describe that as mathematical principles, the spheros. We see them as, from a Kabbalistic perspective, as ways that God emanates his power into the world with specific types of interactions, strength, glory, overpowering, beauty. Those are the spheros. So every day is one of the 10 spheros. 
and on Yom Kippur, all of the spheros, Yisalva Bahem, God rises in some way beyond through all the spheros on Yom Kippur. By Yig Bashem Tzavos, by Mishpat, somehow, even though it's Bedin, there is an incredibly high level that God reaches that we can understand, meaning that the God is never, it's always high. But there's something on Yom Kippur that we can process. Kiyadua Bikabola. So that is Ramban. Now you can see that there definitely is illusions there that it's hard to put a finger on. But what I do know is that this Ramban, I mentioned his students, this is a student of his student, and I want to compare his words. One of the most beloved places to look to explain the Ramban is Rabbeinu Bachya. Rabbeinu Bachya was a student of the Ramban's, one of the Ramban's greatest students, the Rashba. So Rabbeinu Bachya is a student of a student of the Ramban. Many of you who want to study the Ramban might say, well, I'm going to turn to Rabbeinu Bachya. He'll explain this type of material like we just read. Like once the Ramban started talking about Derech HaEmes, I, I, you know, I don't know what he was talking about. He was like going into a whole different world, right? Not really, but this, this is where we need to sort of like, you know, get a handle on things. So let me show, let's, I want to compare Rabbeinu Bachya to the Ramban. Rabbeinu Bachya says, Zichron, he starts off with the same criti- criticism of Rashi. So this is very similar to the Ramban. And then he paraphrases the Ramban. We're not sure if we use a shofar or metal one. Why do you have to give a trua? These are all basically, the Ram- this is basically the Ramban's question. In fact, this is an exact quote from Ramban. And all it says is Zichron Trua, the Samach Awakabola. It says Zichron Trua, and then we're supposed to just have a tradition what that means. The Chachamim know. And they know that Trua is a chauffeur from the various ways it's learned out. Why do we know it's a Yomadin, though? So the Ramban says, we know it's a Yomadin from the Ovos HaKadoshim. We know it's a Yomadin. The word Trua indicates Din, the Ramban says. The Rabbeinu Bachia says, Trua just means chauffeur. That's what Trua is. It's not Din. So how do you know it's Din then? The opposite. The Ramban says Zikaron is love, is basically the Rachamin. You, the person you love, you remember. Right? God, of course, doesn't forget anything. But you always remember the anniversary. You remember the first date. You remember things. All of those are indicators of love. The Ramban says Zikaron is that love, is that Rachamim, is the Tekiah. The Rabbeinu Bachia, who starts off like the Ramban, as you can see clearly, says not like that. He says Trua 
means the shofar. Now, how do you know the Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Adin? That's from the word Zikaron. Zikaron means din? Yeah, the Rabbeinu Bachi says. Huloshen nofav din. What does it say by the Sota? Maskeret avon. Vehevia isha sishto elakohen. Right? And the mincha that she brings is a barley mincha that doesn't have any other topping on it. It doesn't have any, right? It doesn't have oil. It doesn't have frankincense. It's a mincha of his jealousy. It's a mincha zikaro. Okay. Maskeret avon, which has to do with bringing forth her sin. So the Rabbeinu Bachia says zikaron is not about, oh, I remembered you. Yeah, I remembered you means I am going to search that out and you're not getting away with it. We've got you on record, boyby. Vuhu maskir ovon hitofes. Zikaron means I've got you dead to rights. I've got you, right? You're going to be trapped by that. And that's what the, the word pikida means. Like even when we say in the, right? In the Seres Adibros, pokade ovon avot. Pokod is like zikaron. So remembering is not the remembering of a lover. It's the remembering of the hall monitor or of the, you know, of, of, of the IRS agent. So if it's a yomadin, you better hear a trua because you're going to need it. Because don't you realize it's so true as just the sound of the shofar, and zikron is the din. So I think we have here an interesting, even though Bachia was very familiar with the Ramban, he is openly rejecting his interpretation of zikron. Now, does he therefore feel that the concept of yom din barachim and barachim din isn't true? Well, um, he does leave us with a, I can't say that for sure. I do believe, though, that um, that his approach um, does not explain, you know, the question I said before about the Mikra Kodesh. He does, however, say something which I think is in line with any mystical approach to understanding the Torah. Now he, he's 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 entitled to disagree with the Ramban. It's unusual the the amount of disagreement here, but he does say something which I think the Ramban would sign off on, and I think it's worth for us since I'm reading Rabbi Nobachia. I think it's worth for us to to learn this together as well. Why is the Rosh Hashanah Parsha so? Un, it's so cryptic. There's what's there. I mentioned uh, in another forum that when they read the Torah according to the Mishnayot in Masechtas Megillah, the Kriyas HaTorah of Rosh Hashanah were those three psukim that we were just reading. That was it, over and over again. Nothing about the Akedah, nothing about Yom Adin, nothing about Adam Arishon's being born or being created that day. You think about Rosh Hashanah, those three psukim, like you have no idea how that relates to what we just experienced. Why is it that way? Yom Kippur, 
we are given a, a, a total description about tahara. You're given the, 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 the great description of everything the Kohen Gadol does. We know what you're supposed to do. Why was the Torah so? Why couldn't the Torah say, blow shofar? Why did we have to go through hoops of connecting this shofar to the shofar of Yovel and figuring out that this is a ram's horn and not metal? The Torah knows how to be specific. Look how much details there are about how to build the Beis HaMikdash and what the Begotim were made of and how Tumas Taras works. All the, the laws of Shemitah and Yovel. Why is it that when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, there's just these three psukim and what? There's nothing there to based on what we do. Why was the Torah so closed about it? It's something that's well known about our Torah. When there's a certain thing that's really the essential of the religion, when the idea is hidden and internal, it's nelam. It's the type of thing that most people can't grasp, and yet it exists in an, in an internal way on the inside. Whenever the Torah deals with such a thing, then the phrases about it are maddeningly cryptic and closed. Whenever the Torah talks about it, it's in shorthand, and just the minimum amount of verbiage. Think about tefillin, which is so essential to our lives as, as, as adult males. What does it say about tefillin? It says, That's all. You don't know what a totafos is. That's a phrase that the average person didn't know. Had there not been some oral tradition about how to interpret this, we wouldn't know what tefillin is, what it's even about. It doesn't say that there's four partios and make four sections. It doesn't say that. We have to do a whole bunch of um, of, 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 of philological gymnastics and interpretations till we get there. Gam, loa yinu masigim If you just look at the Posik itself, it says, Well, that's right. We know the way the Karaites put on Tfilin, it was right in, on their foreheads. So if we would just read the Posik without a tradition, that's where we put tefillin. What about tzitzis? Tzitzis is also, according to tradition, an incredibly important mitzvah. In fact, Chazal say that wearing, having the tzitzis is shoko keneged kol mitzvah shebetorah. We wouldn't know how you're supposed to put, get the tzitzis together. We, there's not, it doesn't say eight chutim, right? It's because there's gedilim, so you figure out that it's two and, and, and then it becomes four and eight. You don't know anything about the, 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 the knots. It's all, the, the, the psukim are bare minimum and there's a heavy amount of, of, of traditional 
rabbinic interpretation on every letter. So the Rabbeinu Bachya wants us as a mystic to think that that actually means that these mitzvahs are even greater. The cynic says, yeah, they invented it out of nowhere. The believer says, when something is powerful and deep, it's almost like words cannot contain it. And therefore, what comes out is just the bare minimum verbiage on which we place our tradition. And that's an indicator of how important it is. Tefillin and tzitzis are, are, are super crucial to a human being. They do incredible things, the wearing of tefillin and the wearing of tzitzis. And they're meant to hint at, and, and, and actually when you fulfill them, you are doing, in a way, acts that are more powerful than perhaps other mitzvahs that are said very specific. Gam bekan. Here too, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, the fact that it says it's the first day of this month, and we know the tenth is Yom Kippur, which we know is something. Yeshbo min hasod. There's some secret here. Vehaloma sheroya kosov listom velachto. There's something here that the Torah felt it needed to be tight-lipped about it, just like other hidden parts of the Torah. Vistimosan, the fact that there's so little, that's because of how deep it is and how difficult it is to really comprehend. And he says that's the same reason. Why don't we mention the world of the souls? Why don't we mention what Olam Haba is? Of course, in the Hagiographia and in some of the, the, the other Hecholist literature and maybe other places, there's descriptions of the world to come and what, the, what Gan Eden is like. But what, that's not in the Torah. There's just hints to it. And the reason is, Vestimoso Lerov Halamoso. Because it's so difficult to wrap our head around that God felt he could not be uh, expressive. He could not give us a lot of expressive words that, to, uh, to explain where you go after you die and what, are, what is the pattern and what occurs in what stage. Why? The Torah was given to the average person. It wasn't given to the person who has developed to a point that he could really comprehend the world beyond and the purpose of the soul and the soul's transforming and where it, what develops into. The Torah was given to human beings of meat and potato mindsets. People who need to, you know, not to gross idiots, not to people who are imbeciles, but people who are not necessarily wanting to think on a sophisticated, um, uh, very ethereal level. You wouldn't be able to comprehend it. The more physical we are, the more we can't really comprehend what that means to be in a world where our soul is being battery charged, in a world after death, we just make fantasy speculations about them. And therefore, the Torah couldn't really go into depth about it. 
So even, uh, even the Yechidim don't know what it is. You can't expect the Torah to work. The same way a fish that's raised in water can't really understand what fire is or, or, or what that type of intense heat that's living on the ground is. That world too, which is an olam that's seicho, it's an olam of intellectualism. It's an, of, of, of an intellectual existence of an idea that's the opposite of this world, which is so physical and tactile. As long as we're in the physical world, we can't understand it. So therefore, the Torah needed to explain in Parshas Bechuk Bahar and Bechukosai, Bechukosai meant, all the great physical things that are going to happen. That how much fruit there's going to be, how much uh, how, how the cows and, and other animals will be fertile, and how success that we're going to have in military ways, that everybody can understand. And by hearing about those things, which are what we need to live in a certain sense of peace and security and wealth, Yovo Ha'odom but once you'll have those, you're able to build on those physical things to reach the main thing, which is the Iker Kavona, the Iker intent of the world. So Rabbeinu Bachia has taken this question and sort of turned it on its head, which is, what's this about? And why doesn't it explain anything? Is well, there's a tradition. We have to go with the tradition, and you know, zikron does seem to mean din, and trua is the mitzvah. And then he goes into this whole riff about sections in the Torah which are maddeningly uh, cryptic, and those really need to be the places that you actually invest the most in. But there is, I believe, what's missing is really the Ramban's um, what the Ramban tried to do which is try to explain how Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are sort of opposites in a certain way and how they fit in together. Um, now, the, uh, to be fair to the Rabbeinu Bachia, he does say, um, that we know that when it comes to din, din is above, and it surrounds rachamim. Midas hapachad lemala harachamim. I'm sorry, the opposite. Kashem shem midas hapachad lemala. When it comes to the midas harachamim of, of pachad of God's gevura and the spheros, rachamim sandwiches it. Because if it wouldn't be that way, the world would be destroyed because we would never be able to live up to Din, the Trua also. And here he says Trua is actually, as you can see, like the Ramban, the Trua has the Pshut of Nebshut If we'd only bro a Trua, then basically it would almost be like we're denying that there's Rachamim that, that is there to uh, temper Din. And he says, if you explain it this way, then it's telling you, Shoshana is Yom Adin, because true is Din. And Rachamim is the Zikaro. This is, now he gets to the Ramban. 
which is so what's what, what's interesting to me is that he spent this middle section disagreeing in terms of what the words mean but he also did a whole riff on the kabbalistic mindset which is the parts of the torah that are the most uh, maddening are really the ones that you're going to find the greatest treasures in and i think that's really uh, an important principle i want to end tonight with a statement that the ramban makes uh as well and it's a very wonderful statement the ramban wrote a letter defending the ramban from those that want the, the Ramban, the, the Rambam, from those that wanted to uh, excommunicate the book. It's a beautiful poetic letter that, as we've been spending this last year talking about the differences in their approaches, we've seen some of the sharpness of the Ramban against the Rambam. This letter is important because, just like as we saw in certain places, the great respect he had of the Rambam. This letter, he really talks about um, uh, the importance of his work and why it's so crucial for his work to be studied, especially in a, uh, in a world that, as he says, there's been so much um, uh, involvement in pseudoscience and philosophy we need someone like the Rambam. We need his studies. He says, Everything that he wrote is really perfect. Now we know that, of course, he had his criticism, but still he would never want to push away. He says that um, he says, you need to know how great the Rambam is what sort of chosidi is, the strength of his emuna, ba'otsam an vasanuso, you can see how modest he is from his works. We know how much he loved the Talmud, how much he loved Divrei Chachamim, he says, he loves the Chazal, he's not an Aristotelian, that's not what, that's not all he wants. He speaks about specifically something that, as I said, is his seal of approval. He knows that there are those that want to excommunicate these works. And he says that The Rambam definitely says things which perhaps we can disagree with in terms of the future worlds. But to make a gzera against that, um, we have no right to do that. Because we know that this man, although I disagree with certain things that he says, he was a chassid. He was a man of intense greatness.
I do believe the Ramban says that people who criticize him have not learned his books properly, have not really gone through his books. And I'm going to read what he writes here. He writes it in a poetic language, and this is what we'll end with. My Yomru was Sefer Mada. What could you say about the incredible first book of the Rambam, Sefer Mada? Amichtav Michtav Elohim. Sefer Mada is the key to all the other books of the Rambam. Sofer Mitzvah Hashem You have the list of all the mitzvos. Look what he does by in Hilchas Talmud Torah if you read it properly. You get the respect that needs to be given to Torah teachers. And Yorach Atoyim Derach Bilchas Tshuva. Hilchas Tshuva is what teaches us how to do Tshuva. Benachas Uveshuva. To do it not in a way that you're wild and rash, but to do it in a measured way. Beli Kushios Vahavayos. Without questions and issues. Mafik Margolios. There's just pearls of greatness in Hilchas Tshuva of the Rambam. When it comes to the Gemara itself, oh, I know how to do tshuva. I'll just look in the Gemara and Yuma. talks about how great tshuva is, and over here it talks about how great tshuva is. No, it's mufuzarim mufuradim. It's all in different spots, and it's all, it's disconnected. And, and, and it's, it, it's inserted in halachos and different agadata, and it's unclear what they mean, even in context. When you look at all the works that have been written by Gaonim and earlier people than the Rambam, you don't find the ideas of Truva put down properly and ready for picking <laughs> that are Mizumin. The way they are in that book. Hamamula bifninim, it's full of, of, of diamonds. Hamayusid bisafirim ibachutsim bifnim, outerly, just by the language that he uses, and the idea that you can gain by thinking about them. How good he, how, how well he wrote, how intelligent the idea is, how you can come back to and learn it again and again. So, what I would say is, is that despite the disagreement from a Kabbalistic perspective on what Olam Haba is and what the Olam Hashemis are, look at this incredible um, uh, seal of approval that if you want to know how to do tshuva, this, the Sefer of the Rambam, is where to go to in the Ramban's book. His cousin, Rabbeinu Yon, of course, wrote Shari Tshuva, which is, which is obviously a masterpiece. I don't know if the Ramban saw it, and it has its own worth. But Hilchas Tshuva, go with Hilchas Tshuva, especially the parts that deal with the human condition. And that is, in a way, a way that we could approach this incredible day of Yom Kippur, a day of Yom Rachamim, a Mikra Kodesh, a Mikra Kodesh that is the essence of the day, a Simcha day, a day of Rachamim, a day we come together.
But as we approach it, this is the book that leads us to what tshuva should be. The mitzvah of tshuva, the Ramban says, is a mitzvah. And that mitzvah has never been developed as clearly, as effectively, as it was by the great Maimonides himself. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 